Good morning. We'll be reading this morning from the book of John, chapter 17, and we'll be reading verses 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may, beco- that it may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your most holy word, that you would continue to cause it to be enlivened upon our hearts and our minds, and that we would grow in our faithfulness to you as a result. Amen. There are a number of threats to Christian unity right now. There are a number of things that are threatening the relationships of Christians. And I want to encourage you this morning not to succumb to those threats. There are a number of threats. I see three, at least, the big three that are before us. Undoubtedly, there are more. But the big three threats are, of course, how we handle COVID-19, how we engage in the racial tensions of our day and what to do about them. And in case you forgot, there is an upcoming presidential election. The COVID-19 pandemic has been a challenging time for everybody and for everybody in a slightly different way. Stay-at-home orders have required us to figure out how to school our children from home while working from home. We've been prohibited from getting out and just doing the things that we like to do. And, of course, there's the ever-present worry that you might actually get the illness yourself. I think another aspect of this difficulty is found in the fact that what was being asked of us had been changed regularly throughout the course of quarantine. First, it was don't wear masks. Then it was wear masks. First, it was wait until we flatten the curve, and then it was wait until the vaccine. It was stay at home, order for a month, and then another month, and then another month after that. Hydroxychloroquine. 
worked until it didn't. And gatherings of more than 10 people have been banned unless you're protesting. Then it's okay if there's 150 of you in the same place. And the list goes on and on and on. And as a result, as time marches on, patience wears thin. And it's amazing how many of us have become self-proclaimed experts on how to handle a pandemic. If you need an expert, just go to Facebook. You'll find millions. When it's clear that the real epidemiologists don't have agreement on what we should do. Everybody's been affected by COVID-19 differently. Mentally, physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually. Strong feelings and opinions about how to move forward have emerged, haven't they? And as it relates to Christians, the threat of division because of this exists on multiple points on the axis. Do you support the government guidelines or not? Should you wear a mask or should you not? What's more important, the physical health of a few or the economic reality of everyone? How communicable is this disease really? And why did the church take so long to reopen? Or why is the church reopening already? The threat to the unity of Christians is real. Racial tensions in our country are very, very high right now. It's no surprise to you. And our personal experiences, how we interpret data, who we know, and what we learn from their experiences all lend to a variety of opinions and convictions. The sentiment of saying Black Lives Matter versus the Black Lives Matter movement, the statistics regarding arrests and sentencing guidelines and socioeconomic realities, the dynamics of the black community and why they have come to be the way that they are, those dynamics, uh, supporting the police versus defunding the police versus reforming the police. What should we do? How should we respond? Are there only the two ways that the media presents us to engage in this conversation? Or is there a uniquely Christian approach to how we should look at this? The threat to unity is growing. <laughs> and in the midst of all these other things, we are midway through an election year. And it seems like elections are getting harder and harder. That they're becoming more contentious and more divisive as the years go by. Republicans versus Democrats. <laughs> but not just that. <laughs> We're talking about Donald J. Trump versus Joe Biden. And then we're talking about, well, I'm not that kind of Republican, or I'm not that kind of Democrat. I need not say more. The threat to Christian unity is upon us. And so the time is right to remind ourselves of the nature of this unity. And we do so this morning from John 17. 
John 17, Jesus is nearing the end of his life, and we see that before his arrest, he takes time to pray to his Father about some very specific things for Christians. Not necessarily for everyone in the world. This is not a prayer in which Jesus is directing uh, his petitions on behalf of the whole world. He's directing his petitions particularly to his Father on behalf of those the Father has given to him, the Christians. And he has some very specific desires for them. And he sees some very specific dangers that lie before them. This is often referred to as the high priestly prayer. And don't let the timing of it be lost on you. Because there are but few prayers of Jesus that are recorded in the Bible. This, I think, being the longest and the most substantial near to his death. And the things that he prays here are very clearly important. And as he nears the end of the prayer, he prays that Christians would be unified. And the request for unity is really divided into two different parts with incredible implications attached. Bo read it a moment ago, starting at verse 20. And we see in verses 20 through 23 of John 17 that Christian unity is based on the nature of God. When you think of unity, I wonder what you think of. You might often think of people being united around a shared belief or a shared goal or a unified cause or perhaps a political issue. People become close together. They become united with each other when they follow the same sports team. (laughs) Just go down to Heinz Field and you will have 68,000 of your best friends. Unless you're wearing the wrong jersey. People become united together simply because of relationships as well. Relationships bind people together. I like you, you like me, we're united. Even though we might not agree on everything. And those things are good beliefs and causes and purposes and relationships. But at their core, they aren't necessarily permanent in their nature. Circumstances change. Beliefs sometimes evolve. Relationships grow or fade. Think about it for a minute. When you think about the people in your life who you are united with, What is the reason why? A belief, a cause, a purpose, a relationship? Jesus prays here that the nature of Christian unity would be much deeper than those things. He prays that it would be rooted in the eternal personhood and relationship between God the Father and God the Son. In other words, Jesus prays 
recognizing that Christians are unified because of the nature of God, who God is. And he says it three times in the first few verses. Verse 21, for those of you that have your Bible open, he says, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. The same petition that they may become one multiple times, but the same grounding is attached to all of it. For Jesus to say to God that he wants us to be one as we, Father and Son, are one, points to the fact that God and Jesus, the first person of the Trinity and the second person of the Trinity, are inextricably linked. They share one essence, yet they have distinct or unique personhood. And this is the way that Christians are united to each other. Now, if that confuses you, that's okay. <laughs> but if that gives you a sense of wonder and awe, then it should. And this truth seems to indicate that the closer you draw to the Lord, the closer you will become with other Christians. We see that in verse 23. I in them and you in me. So Jesus in us, God in Jesus. That they may become perfectly one. As we draw closer to Jesus, we will experience a supernatural unity with each other. And the unity of Christians is truly supernatural in its nature. And this is most pointedly applied to you in your relationships with the other members of your local church. Who you've covenanted together with to grow in faithfulness to the Lord Jesus with. You've said, I want to draw closer to the Lord. And I know that as I draw closer to the Lord, I'm going to draw closer to you. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, year after year, growth group after growth group, you become united to people. United people of different ages, different races, different classes, people you might not normally be friends with. And this unity, this oneness is, yes, it's based on belief. And yes, it's based on a cause. And yes, it's fueled by relationships. But it does not merely have the grounding of circumstances that the other forms of unity might have in this world. This unity, Jesus says, is grounded in the eternal relationship between the Father and His Son, Jesus. And that means it will never change. It means that the unity of Christians will outlive COVID-19. It will outlive racial tensions. And it will far surpass the presidential election. And if that's true, 
If that's true, then the unity of you and me and you and each other is that profound in its nature. Then we have to think to ourselves, well, what are some of the ways that I can participate or some of the ways that I can live in light of this unity? Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that Christian brotherhood is not an ideal to which we must realize. It's rather a reality created by God in which we may participate. Unity is not something solely to be realized. Unity is something to participate in. And so we participate in unity together and in this divine relationship. And the first way to participate is very clearly then to first pursue Christ. To first pursue Christ. And it means that necessarily there has to be a hierarchy of values and priorities in your life. And that can be pretty hard in times like this. When the external things press in upon us so pointedly. But you have to remind yourself of the most important things as it relates to your walk with the Lord and let that drive your relational unity with other people. And if you're out of sync with your Christian community, then the first place to look is at your relationship with the Lord. I think secondly, we recognize that God gives us unity, but not uniformity. Uniformity is when everyone is uniform, (laughs) the same. You think the same, you talk the same, you act the same. God does not call his people to uniformity. There's incredible diversity of personalities and learning styles and thought processes and gifts within the family of God. We're not all uniform. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. And so if we have substantial differences, but yet we're called to unity, not uniformity, but unity, and there's clearly a ground for that unity, we see that our union with Christ through faith in Him allows us to participate in a divine relationship between Father and Son, and our lives are to mirror that, that you can be holy and be different from one another, that you can have a diversity of opinions and views and not sin in them, that you can be completely united even though you are gifted in a totally way, different way than she is gifted There's opportunities to participate in unity, but there's also opportunities, of course, to mirror this relationship of father and son rather poorly. When we gossip, when we slander, when we sin against each other, gossip and slander are toxic to Christians. It robs you of joy of following the Lord, and it robs you the joy of unity with each other, And it robs the community of the joy of following the Lord and robs them of the joy of unity with each other. And so imagine this picture of unity with me. It's one of my favorites. Imagine we're all sitting here, the the handful of us that are here in the room and everybody who's watching online, and there's over a thousand people in the auditorium this morning. And Mark Ledger is sitting over there, and he is holding a ball of string. 
and it's a big ball of string, and he grabs one end of the string, and he stands up, and he just hucks it all the way across over here to Sarah, and lets the string out along the way. Sarah grabs the ball of string, and as she grabs the ball of string, she holds on to her piece of it, and she throws it back over here to the middle to Kenny. Kenny grabs the ball of string, and he throws it back over this way to Jen, and Jen holds the ball of string. His string is being let out now back and forth across the room, and she throws it up to the balcony, all the way up to the sound booth. And Larry catches it in the sound booth, and he chucks it over here, and back and forth, and up and down. Everybody grabbing the ball of string, holding on to their piece, and letting the string just sort of go across the room, and up the room, and down the room as they go. This string, the person who catches it, the man, the woman, the child, the pastor, the elder, the deacon, the blue-collar people, the white-collar people, the Democrats, the Republicans. The white people, the black people, the Asian people, the Latino people, the Indian people, and the many others that are in the midst, all holding on to the same gospel string, connected to each other by it. And if someone were to walk in at that moment and see what was happening, the church would look like a big spider web of connectivity, and the string would be the dominant feature in the gathering. But what happens when you gossip or slander or malign others that you disagree with who are holding the same string? I can't believe the church took so long to open. Those elders don't have any conviction about the gathering. They're clearly just suckers who were taken for a ride by the government. And it's like walking right up that aisle with the scissors and cutting the string along the way. Can you believe that Jennifer is going to actually vote for Joe Biden? Has she lost her soul? And another, walk up the aisle, slicing the string of unity along the way. I cannot believe the way that he spoke out against the protests for racial justice. I mean, clearly he must be a racist himself. And the unity fades as the scissors are out again and the mirroring of the divine relationship between father and son participated in in the family has now become very distorted. Because there is a way to disagree and still pursue unity, but that is not it. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, or chapter 4, excuse me, 1 through 3. 
He says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. There's a way to walk. <laughs> with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's how you mirror the divine relationship in the context of Christian community. And you see, you know what happens when that happens? Jesus tells us. He says in verses 20 and 21 what happens. He says, he prays, God, that they would all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So your unity with one another as Christians, broadly speaking, and your unity with one another with the Christians in your local church, more narrowly speaking, is a form of participation in the divine relationship that results in the world recognizing that Jesus really did come from God and is God's Son. They look at the peculiar way that you are unified and they recognize something about the Lord Jesus Himself. And furthermore, they will recognize that Christians, he says in verse 23, are loved by God in the same way as God loves his son, Jesus. Now you got to stop and think about that for a minute. If you have faith in Christ... God loves you as he loves his son, Jesus, it says. Which means that he cannot love you any more than he already loves you. No matter what you do. And he will not love you any less than he already loves you. No matter what you do. His love for you is perfect in its expression. It's perfect in his provision for you. It's perfect in his dispositional generosity towards you. And further, it would seem to indicate to me that if God's love for his children is like the love that he has for his son, then this love is eternal in its nature. That God never started loving you. He just always has. And that God will never stop loving you because you will be with Him forever in eternity. When you think about the fact that God never started and will never stop loving you, that the eternal God of the universe loves you as He loves His eternal Son, My friends, how great is the love of God for us? How vast beyond all measure. And if that's true, then I fear that so many of us have drastically underestimated 
the depth of this love of God and how it's applied to you in Christ. And I wonder how then you respond daily to this kind of love. So the unity of Christians is based on God's nature. It's not based on the fact that you like each other. It's not based on the fact that you agree about COVID, about politics, about race, intentions. It's not even based on the fact that you just happen to live in the same geographical locale or come down the road to the same church. It's based in the nature of God. And secondly, we see in verses 24 through 26 that this unity is based on the promises of God. And so when you put those two things together, you might say that the nature and the promises of God are the basis for Christian unity. The nature and the promises of God are the basis for Christian unity. And the prayer of Jesus in John 17 closes with two great promises for the Christian. We need not expound greatly upon them. He says in verse 24 that a prayer of heavenly nature, a promise. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, that's Christians, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants us to be with him where he is. He desires for you to see his glory. He loves us and he wants us to be with him and he wants us to know him even more fully than we know him right now and so he wants us to see the full expression of who he is his glory so we can understand him all the more and indeed we will all of us all of the christians even the ones you don't agree with all the time Joined together in eternity in perfect unity with each other because we're in perfect unity with the Lord Jesus. The nature and promises of God are the foundation for Christian unity. The second promise is in verse 26. Look at it with me. It's the close of the prayer. It's a promise for the church on earth. Jesus says, I made known to them, them being Christians, your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The promise is, is that Jesus isn't going to leave us to try to figure it all out by ourselves. That he will continue to make the name of God known to us and to more who will come to believe at later times. And by making the name of God known, that's another way to say, um, to make known all that God is, all that we need to know about him. And when that happens, we more fully know his love. And so I hope that you know God through Jesus not just know about him, but truly know him. That you can have a knowledge, that love, that you can have that unity with God and unity with other people. 
by putting your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then choosing in an ongoing way to participate in this incredible unity of believers. It's difficult in times like this. It's difficult in divisive times like now. But there's a way forward for Christians. And when this happens, you, like so many of those who have gone before you, become the answer to this prayer. The nature and the promises of God are the basis for Christian unity. Let's be the answer to this prayer. Not in our own power, but because of God's promises and because of God's nature. Let's pray together. Father, continue to unify us, we ask, that glory would be given to you, that the world would know who Christ is, that we would experience your love even more profoundly. Make us more like him, we pray. Amen.